Hello, and welcome to the In the Booth podcast. I'm your host, Alan Etzler. I'm joined today by Jeremy Arias. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. And we have a very special guest today, uh, Sheriff Candidate Carl Bickle. Sheriff, or Carl, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we, we want to jump right into it. We're about uh, 25, 24 days out now, something like that. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit how the campaign has been going and uh, some of the key issues you've been campaigning on this year? Well, the pa- campaign's been going very good. We've been, uh, the support has been growing. And in fact, uh, I just left McDonald's where I had a cup of coffee and an egg McMuffin and a gentleman come, came over to me and said that uh, he had just been at a dealer getting his uh, tires, tires for his car and a fellow was sitting there with him waiting for his vehicle and uh, singing the praises of uh, of me and our campaign and what we're about. So uh, he came over, introduced himself, and asked for a sign. So we're finding a lot of support like that. That uh, Up in Thurmont, I had a waitress come over to me, shake my hand, thank me for running, and uh, said she was voting for me. We've gotten a lot of support from uh, state police troopers, uh, sheriff's deputies, retired sheriff's deputies, a lot, of, a lot of support from retired uh, deputies and uh, some folks from the municipal departments uh, in the county. We've gotten the uh, endorsement from the uh, Teachers Association, the, uh, their, uh, their union, first time they've ever endorsed a sheriff's candidate. And the same hold tr- holds true for the Professional Firefighters Association. We got their endorsement. As far as I know, that's the first time they've ever endorsed in a sheriff's race. That uh, We've been focusing on the most critical issue facing our county now, and that's the uh, the opioid epidemic, something that has been uh, a problem that has been growing for over a decade, and uh, the sheriff's response has been uh, minimal at best, that uh, more talk and not much action, and even the talk, he talks about the fact that uh, it has to run its course, or that the problem's in the home, or that it has to be solved, the problem will be solved around the dinner table. And I don't agree with any of those things, that uh, first, we can't let it run its course. And the problem is not only in the home. Uh, people arrive at addiction by a variety of paths. And it's going to take a variety of paths to get them out of addiction. And it's not going to be solved around the dinner table. It's going to be solved uh, working with professionals in the law enforcement field, the medical community, um, health department, uh, the schools. Uh, it's going to take a variety of stakeholders working together. To, uh, to actually solve that problem. Now, Mr. Bickle, uh, we've talked about this before, um, but, I mean, to say, to say that, that, that the sheriff is simply content to let the, the opioid epidemic run its course isn't, isn't strictly true. I mean, there have been steps that have been taken. Uh, they've been uh, equipped with Narcan since, I believe, the end of 2014, uh, and, and the worst year, uh, 2016, uh, in terms of overdose deaths, I believe uh, sheriff's deputies and FPD saved it combined. I believe it was 78. Uh, they reversed 78 overdoses that year. Um, the sheriff's office has also been involved with the heroin consortium put on by uh, by County Executive Jan Gardner since, I believe, since that was incepted um, in about, I, th- I believe that was 2015. Uh, they meet um, uh, several times a year uh, to with with the health department and other stakeholders what um what do you plan to improve on and do differently um if elected to sheriff to 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 address this problem which is critical well first of all the statement uh that it has to run its course that those are his words that uh, those are words that he's used in uh in public meetings 
So to get that out of the way right away, clarify that. Those, those are his words that it has to run its course. As far as the Narcan, the Narcan was not in use in Frederick County until after 2014, after I wrote a piece in the paper. Um, I think it was, it, was, uh, it was in your paper, Narcan Now. And at that time, Narcan was not in the, uh, the deputies' cruisers, any police vehicles. It wasn't, in, it wasn't even in the ambulances. Didn't have it in the schools. And you could go over to the health department. Anyone could walk in uh, and take one of their classes and get two doses of Narcan. Meanwhile, we didn't have it uh, either in the ambulances, the police cars, or, uh, or any of that. So that, I think, came about because of pressure. And it was, uh, it was absurd, the fact that we hadn't had Narcan in the community. Narcan was developed in the late 1960s. It was in use in Washington, D.C. when I was a young policeman there back in the 1970s during the heroin epidemic. So uh, he doesn't get any high marks for that one. And um, as far as the consortium goes, they meet quarterly for about two hours. So you think about that. That's about eight hours a year that's devoted to the biggest public health and public safety problem we have in the community now and have probably ever had. So what would you what would you plan to do to kind of address this crisis? Should you be elected on November sixth? It's really it it takes a while to explain it, but it's really pretty simple. That uh, taking from um, a, the CompStat process that was developed in the New York City Police Department uh, a few years, but many years back, where they bring together precinct commanders from around the city, and they use real time data, CompStat short for computer statistics and uh, they share information they look at what the problem is where the problem is see what resources have to be uh, moved or shifted uh, and these meetings take place on a weekly basis and what I want to do is I want to bring that concept to Frederick but make it more of a community comp stat process and not only have the law enforcement uh, community involved but have the other stakeholders involved the emergency uh, room people from the hospital, uh, Board of Education, the, pub, the uh, health department, and uh, first responders from the uh, fire rescue, and uh, bring in some people from the advocacy community. And in the weekly meetings, you use everyone's data, you bring everyone's data to, together, and look to see exactly what's happening, where it's happening, what resources need to be moved immediately to address Examine what you did the week before and how it worked out and what modifications need to be made. That that is working well, you do more of. That that's not working as well, you do less of. And I think that we can, uh, we can move forward and turn the corner. It's not going to solve the problem completely. But I think we can turn the corner and start to save lives and start to, save, uh, start to get people into treatment. And what you're going to have, too, when you bring those people together on a weekly basis, examining all of the data, examining all the information that's shared with everybody on the same page, those folks are going to come up with ideas we hadn't even thought of, that uh, they're going to see problems emerge and then uh, be able to immediately, immediately address the problem. That, because right now we have a lot of good people in the county, both in uh, governmental agencies and non-governmental organizations, trying to do a good job, but they're working in silos. Communications is not as good as it should be. Like, like as quarterly meetings, that's, that's, that's surely not going to do it. It needs to be more frequent than that. And like I say, it has to be done on a weekly basis and uh, 
people have to uh, be assigned specific tasks and uh, be held accountable for uh, getting done what they, they say they're going to do. Because right now, the sheriff's office data, as far as overdose uh, data, is different than the health department's. That Because the health department gathers all of the overdose deaths of people that live in Frederick County, where the sheriff's office is gathering data on those that actually die in Frederick County. If it's a Frederick County resident that overdoses in Montgomery County and dies, and we had one of those a few months ago, that one doesn't get captured in the sheriff's office data. Not a huge problem, but it exemplifies how the the two aren't really talking uh, the way they need to or sharing the information the way they need to or not staying on the same page. One of, one of the things that uh, the sheriff announced recently in partnership with, with Jan Gardner, the county executive, uh, was the work release center being used um, half as a work release center and then the other half as a detox center, which uh, many people have advocated for a long time that the county badly needs. I want to f- figure out where, where you stand on this issue. I think we talked the day of it and you were fairly supportive but a little suspicious of the timing at, at the time. But, but just where do you stand on, on using this facility and, and do you see any problems with it that you, could, that you think might make it better or a different facility that might more work a little bit better? And it's interesting. No real action for almost a decade. And about four or five weeks before an election, all of a sudden there's an idea. And that's all it is, is an idea. There's no real plan there, just an idea. Not necessarily a bad idea. That uh, I've talked to correctional, correctional officers for over a year about the very same thing, uh, using that facility because it was underutilized. And, uh, and I thought it might be a good idea. And, uh, and, correction, and, and I shouldn't say I did. Actually, it was correctional officers that brought it to me and uh, thought it was a good idea. And um, I, I, I shared their, uh, uh, not enthusiasm, but certainly uh, th- their thought that it, it's worth exploring. And um, that, I, I think, is worth exploring, but um, Delegate Young brought up a couple of things that I quite honestly never thought of. Um, and obviously the sheriff had not thought of uh, either. And that was the fact that uh, a lot of substance abusers might not be willing to come to a facility that's on the grounds of the jail. Uh, and in talking to some people since then, they said, oh, yeah, no way. No, we're not going near that. And uh, a fellow that uh, I know that had experienced um, an alcohol problem and said that he never would have gone to a uh, facility that was right right in the jail grounds. So at least that's something that needs to be discussed or explored. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like I say, I didn't spot it. Uh, but uh, Delegate Young brought that up, and I think it's something that uh, needs to be thought about. And it's the kind of thing that would have, because one of the questions I raised was, had, uh, had there been any discussion with the end user, those... Uh, in the advocacy community or those in that had actually uh, been fighting addiction. There hadn't been. Uh, and my guess is that those folks would have brought that up if it, if it was, in fact, an issue. And probably some other things, maybe, pros, pros and or cons. And like I say, it's an idea. There's no real plan, uh, a plan to put out an RFP, I guess. And uh, beyond that, I really didn't hear anything. Um, also, the thought that it was not near a hospital was uh, something that was brought up. I think, well, that's certainly something that uh, needs to be discussed, too. But at least a discussion's starting, and, uh, and I think that's a good thing. 
Um, and the fact that it is just before an election and I think more of a political stunt than anything, uh, some good can come of political stunts sometimes. And hopefully that'll be the case here, that it'll be more than just something that uh, is proposed in order to, uh, to to try to get a few extra votes. I th- hope that it'll be something that'll be uh, looked at uh, real closely afterwards, because it might be a case that once the conversation starts, if the facility there works out well, that would be great. If it doesn't, at least they're moving down the road toward, okay, if that's not going to work, what do we have around the county that might work? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of what's going on. Any other key issues that, you, that you're focusing on ahead of the election? Uh, I know that we've talked a lot about um, the one that's, that's dominated uh, the, the race for the last uh, two elections, uh, the opioid epidemic, but there are plenty of other topics out there. Yes, there is. that uh, One that uh, people are concerned about, of course, and it, it comes and goes, is the school safety issue, that uh, there's bound to be another incident in the country somewhere uh, before long, unfortunately. Uh, sadly enough, these things continue to happen, and each time uh, people uh, want to uh, react in some way, in order to uh, see that their their uh, their kids are protected, and that's uh, that, that that's something that uh, needs to needs to be uh, at their front and center. There's no doubt about that. My approach is much much different than the sheriff. That uh, the sheriff has advocated arming school teachers and people in the schools, and uh, I think that's just not a good idea at all. That. Uh, there's not much good that can come of that, that uh, you can think of. If you have 10 people in a room uh, talking about that, they'll come up with probably 20 scenarios where it could go bad, where a student could get hold of a firearm somehow, and uh, and it puts a teacher at risk should there actually be an incident, and just a whole host of problems, not even uh, before you even get to the training aspect of it, the cost of the arms and things like that. What I think we need to do is we need to focus on the prevention side there, that uh, you certainly want to have the sheriff's office and the state police and the city police uh, equipped and ready to respond to an incident. That's, uh, that, that's a given. And, uh, and I think that, that, uh, that capa- they have that capacity, that we have uh, well-trained people to, to take care of that. But what we need to focus more on is the prevention side, and there we need to improve the training of the school resource officers, school counselors, teachers, administrators, in, uh, in, in giving them the ability to r- both recognize and work with the, the at-risk kids in, in the school and, uh, and focus on prevention. And one of the areas that uh, we really need to pay attention to is the fact that uh, I think it was Linganore High School. I was told that uh, by a, someone from the school system that Linganore High School has, uh, in the last 20 years, has doubled its population and still has the same number of school counselors that had 20 years ago. Well, there's one of your problems right there, that uh, the school counselors are overburdened, and it's not likely that they're going to be able to... Uh, recognize a problem as it's emerging as easily as if their uh, their caseload was was uh, much smaller so I think there's a lot of things we can do on the prevention side there to prevent a tragedy and keeping in mind too there was a Harvard uh, someone from Harvard uh, did the number crunching and said that um, 
the chances on any given day of uh, of a child being killed in a school shooting were one in 614 million. They said that uh, there's a greater chance of them dying on the way to and from school uh, as a result of an athletic injury in, it, during a sports event in a school or even catching a communicable disease uh, while at school. So we have to keep things in perspective, too. Uh, but I think we have to focus on prevention. I think that uh, the sheriff's office and the uh, city police and state police are equipped and uh, can handle a, a response should there be an incident. And uh, we want to we want to prevent it and not have to respond to a tragedy. Now, in speaking with uh, with the sheriff earlier this week, we also talked about his approach to safety in in schools. Um, I, I can't say anything to to uh, the claim that that he um, would advocate for guns in schools um, or arming teachers. Uh, we did that did not come up. But one thing that did come up was their efforts to. They're the only county uh, in Maryland that had uh, a school resource officer in every high school, uh, every cluster or every school, I believe it was. Every high school. Every high school. Uh, at the time when it was, uh, the, the federal government came out and, and, and made its guidelines and said, you know, this needs to be done. They were ahead of the curve on that. Uh, he mentioned uh, a couple of um, uh, presentations they've made in Florida in Virginia, here in Maryland, an award he received, I believe, in Virginia uh, a number of months ago for their efforts to get up to par with this emerging issue. And he believes that the sheriff's office is currently in a very good place to to be ahead of uh, the rest of Maryland on maintaining security in schools. That's one thing that came up. But um, Well, I don't doubt that it came up. What I would do, though is uh, I would try to verify that because um, the sheriff often makes claims that uh, aren't, shall we say, completely accurate. Um, School resource officer programs, I've been an advocate for the school resource officer programs for many, many years, that uh, the school resource officers first came to my attention when I was a law enforcement specialist at the National Institute of Justice, uh, their National Criminal Justice Reference Service. Uh, and that was back in the, oh, probably the 1980, 1981. And, uh, and at that time, they were nothing new. that They had been around quite a while. Uh, school resource officer programs, uh, particularly in Florida, were, um, were big. That uh, The key is knowing what uh, the real role of a school resource officer is. And the school resource officer, their primary, uh, pr- primary role is to develop relationships and work with administrators, teachers, parents, and students to uh, to solve problems, but not to. Uh, they're not there necessarily for enforcement. They're not necessarily there for uh, security. Now, of course, those are functions they can provide uh, on an as-needed basis, uh, and they do. But uh, the primary function is to uh, develop relationships. And one of the things that I want to do is. Uh, because it's it's hard, it's not that easy to have a really good fit uh, for a school resource officer because a lot of the things they do are felt to be sort of touchy feely by some of the police officers and uh, and if they get uh, drafted into those positions or um, are put into those positions um, well for 
for other than the right reason, um, they aren't going to perform as well as you would like them to. And one of the things that I want to explore, and I think we could get money for it, too, because it would be a, a bit unique, and it, and it would accomplish two things. The sheriff's office is got, ha- having problems right now uh, because they're, uh, they're understaffed. Uh, they're, not meet, they're not up to their authorized strength. And uh, although the sheriff says he has a difficult time recruiting, it's not, uh, not that hard to believe that in that he has deputies and correctional officers telling people not to come to the sheriff's office because of the toxic environment, uh, because of the toxic leadership. But at any rate, one of the things that I want to do is go to uh, colleges where you have people that graduate with a, a teaching certificate and they're a certified teacher, but they can't find a teaching job. Uh, and try to recruit some of those people to become school resource officers. Now, you bring them in, you send them to the police academy like anyone else, and, of course, they have to meet all of the requirements of any uh, anybody that's going to be hired as a law enforcement officer. And uh, they would be out on the street for a short period of time, and then you would uh, get them into the, uh, into the schools. Now, what I think would happen is that... Um, a, a person that would be uh, recruited would think of uh, the possibility of getting their foot into the door into their career that they really want uh, working in the schools. And uh, I think you would get them you get them on board that way. But once you got them that uh, the pay is good, get a take-home car, they'd be working in the environment that they wanted to work in, but wouldn't have all the headaches that a school teacher has because a school teacher does that. They've, they've got a tough job. Now, some would argue that a school resource officer faces some challenges. Well, they do, but they're a little different. Right. Uh, they're a little bit different. That, uh, it, But I think that they would once they got into that environment, and they would be viewed as a peer among the teachers because they'd be a certified teacher as well. Uh, I, and they would work. They would be people that obviously wanted to work with kids because they uh, – they uh, went through the process of uh, of getting certified to teach. So anyway, I think that I think that it would be a good fit for school resource officers. And I think it'd be worth exploring to see how it does work out. And I think that you'd be in a position where you could um, access some uh, federal or state funds to to do it because it would be uh, a, a new approach. Now that is uh, that is another point uh, that also could be called a point of difference between you. And the uh, and the sheriff, um, in terms of funding and looking for grants, one thing that Sheriff Jenkins has been historically very leery of uh, has been looking at grants such as the the Safer Grant. He brought that up in our in our discussions, uh, which allowed the fire service to uh, recruit uh, twenty five to thirty uh, firefighters. But now what we're seeing is uh, the county is now having to. Uh, now that that grant has run its course, they're having to shoulder the burden of all of those salaries now. Uh, the sheriff argues that's not fiscally responsible. He's offered his version of fiscal conservatism to keep the sheriff's office basically in the black. Um, he's noted that that is a, a difference in worldview between the two of you. Would, would you discuss that? Oh yeah, that 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 difference uh, is, is a stark difference. That uh, his 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 brand of uh, conservatism, I think, was uh, best described by uh, former President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush as voodoo economics. 
that um, those uh, and, and, and with the law enforcement side, it would be similar uh, when it comes to some hiring grants, not all hiring grants, but some hiring grants. And those are positions, fire rescue positions, the county was going to need anyway. That at some point in time, the county was going to have to pay for those positions. And uh, what they were able to do is they were able to take, care, t- uh, take advantage of federal funding to bring them on board for the first few years. Um, personally, I think that's a great thing to do because uh, if you don't, you're going to have to bring them on board at your expense. That uh, my time in the Justice Department... Uh, in the in the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, we had, oh gosh, we put out uh, actually billions of dollars in uh, grant funding for positions like that. And it, uh, yes, it was a case where the 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 the, the funding level um, uh, started at a, at a certain amount and then it would taper off, so that the communities that were getting these officers would. Um, it, the expense to them would uh, would gradually uh, would, would would be uh, coming to them gradually over a, a period of uh, three or four years. So yeah, he and I look at that very very differently. I look at that as an opportunity for the county to save money, uh, where they're going to have to uh, at some point uh, get these positions anyway. And that's probably most obvious with fire rescue because you have uh, less volunteer participation now. It's more difficult to get volunteers uh, for a variety of reasons that uh, people have a lot of other things that, on their plate and just don't have the time uh, in order to, to dedicate to that. And the county is growing, uh, growing rapidly, that uh, fire rescue services are needed uh, to, to, to a greater extent. So those positions were going to have to come along. So if you can get the federal government to pay for them on the front end or the state government to help to pay for them on the front end, I think that benefits the county. That uh, he, The current sheriff just doesn't understand how, how the system works. Um, and you have to understand how the systems work if you're going to uh, participate in them. He has, been, he has said that he doesn't see why a pig farmer in Iowa should have to pay for law enforcement services in Frederick County apparently not understanding that our federal taxes pay for farm subsidies for the pig farmer in Iowa. That, uh, and I can understand where his position might be, I don't know if it is exactly, that we shouldn't be sending all this money to, to Washington uh, and then have Washington divvy it up. I, I think that's a fine position to take. And, uh, and if that's the kind of, if you want to change that, you work toward changing it. But until it's changed, we need to get our money back. And the only way we're going to get our money back is through grants, cooperative agreements, and, uh, and, and funding, uh, funding opportunities with the federal and state, uh, state government and private foundations. There's a lot of money out there being left on the table that could be used in law enforcement services in, in Frederick County. But in, Fred, in, in federal grants, state grants, and, uh, and private foundation money. Private foundation money is often overlooked. I want to jump into one of the more uh, kind of controversial issues that have ha- that have been going on in this race, and that's the 287G program, as well as the IGSA agreement that the county participates in, in cooperation with Immigration Customs Enforcement. You've been uh, a pretty vocal uh, uh, opponent of those, both of those agreements. Um, if you are elected in, on November 6th, are those something day one you get rid of? What's what's your plan for those two agreements? <laughs> okay, now as far as a vocal opponent, that's uh, 
That's not uh, a, a completely accurate uh, description. I have concerns about okay. them and think there needs to be an audit. That uh, that was done unilaterally by the sheriff without any input from the county, without any input from the uh, the community. And now we've gotten to a point where there are some serious questions that have been raised. That, uh, first of all, the cost. What is it costing us? That uh, one CPA looked at it and said it's cost us a million dollars over the past, uh, since 2008. They had an internal audit that was done that didn't agree with the sheriff's uh, assessment, uh, but it didn't agree with the, the outside, the, the CPA either. But the... Um, I, I just had uh, breakfast the other day with a retired sheriff's uh, department official that had worked in the jail, and uh, he just came right out and said the sheriff's just not being truthful, that uh, there are personnel costs associated with those that, uh, that aren't covered and that we are losing money. Uh, so what I want to see is an audit. I want to see an audit of both programs. Um, and I think what we need to do is not just look at the money. I want to see an audit like the federal government does with their inspector general's offices when they come in, that uh, they look at things a little bit more broadly. Uh, well, sometimes depending on the uh, depending on the um, the nature of the, of the uh, the audit. But at any rate, what I want to see are three questions answered. One is what Frederick County problem do we have? that's being addressed through these programs. And then the second question would be, are we effective in addressing that problem using these programs? And then the third question would be, what are the costs, the economic costs and the social costs? And I think these three questions should be asked of any taxpayer-funded program. Uh, and, uh, and then that information be sh should be shared with the community and then a determination needs to be made as to, is this really benefiting our community or not? Uh, because it does come into question. We've got over 3,000 counties in this country. And um, uh, last I saw, there was maybe 60-some. The number goes up and down. So I don't know how many are involved in these programs right now. But that's not very many. And then uh, when you look at the um, professional organizations like the International Association of Police, uh, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the Police Foundation, the um, uh, Major City Chiefs Association, and the Police Executive Research Forum, uh, they're all against state and local law enforcement getting involved in the enforcement of immigration laws for a variety of reasons. And I, th I think that's something that you don't want to ignore. Uh, and that's why I think there needs to be an audit done that examines what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what are the costs. I think one of the, the reasons he gave, at least for the 287G program, is, is uh, in his view there is uh, a problem with MS-13 gang violence <laughs> throughout the county. Do you not view that as, as an issue, or, or do you uh, – I mean, where do you stand on, on that response? I think he's just fear-mongering um, because he always has to point to Montgomery County. As, uh, as where the problem exists. And he talks about building this virtual wall uh, around, uh, around Frederick County using uh, the 287G program. And I imagine he thinks that Montgomery County is going to pay for it. But, uh, yeah, that, that uh, when you talk to the people in the law enforcement community, I had a state police supervisor 
uh, tell me that it's just a bunch of baloney, that uh, there isn't a significant problem. To the extent there is a problem, the problem is uh, in Frederick City, and the Frederick City Police do a good job. And uh, they're, they're, I, I, as far as I can tell, they're managing it pretty well. Uh, they're probably, there's always a little more that can be done. But the sheriff's office doesn't have a gang unit. I mean, if you've got a huge gang problem, you usually have a gang unit. We have a big drug problem. We have a, a, a drug task force. So, um, yeah, that's, that's primarily fear-mongering. Look at, just look at the crime statistics. We really don't have a lot of crime. Uh, in Frederick County, serious crime. And when I talk about serious crime, I'm talking about murder, rape, robbery, uh, that kind of thing. That, uh, and, and I guess, and keep in mind, too, I started in Washington, D.C. back when there were murders every day, there were robberies several a day. And uh, so my, my perspective is a little bit different, I guess, when it comes to uh, how much serious crime there is. But Frederick is a, is a nice community. And now, while it's... While it is uh, relatively calm, that's the time we can uh, make some improvements that will keep us from, uh, from uh, getting to a point where there is, is more crime. That, uh, and crime has been going down. Uh, it, it fluctuates. But uh, over time, over the past uh, 20 years or so, it's, 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 there's been a downward trend. And over the past 10 years, the uh, crime rate has gone down in Frederick County, but it's gone down to a greater extent in Montgomery County and Prince George's County, where they don't have these programs. So tying it to tying it to MS-13 and the crime, uh, that's that's more uh, I think smoke and mirrors than anything else. That you hear a lot of anecdotal stories. Uh, and that's what uh, what happens with, uh, with with that issue particularly. That uh, and we had an incident. One of the stories we had an incident here in Frederick, uh, where a uh, lady at a Burger King was murdered, and the uh, individual that murdered her was here in violation of, in this country in violation of the immigration laws. But he had been deported three times. So what didn't work? That uh, the approach. To, to find a, an approach that's going to work, that's going to take place in Washington, D.C., between the White House and the Congress. And uh, that, that's a bigger problem that we're not going to solve here in Frederick. And another problem that I noticed that it doesn't seem, I haven't been able to find anybody that's actually looking at it, that uh, the sheriff referenced in his presentation uh, in June, uh, his steering committee presentation, he referenced two cases where individuals have been convicted of serious crimes, uh, assault with intent to kill or something, uh, something to that effect. And uh, they had been sentenced to 20 years or more, and their sentences were sus all suspended except time served so they could be deported. Well, that, I, to, my, to my mind, that puts us at a greater danger. Because that individual now has been deported instead of their 20-year prison sentence. And they're going to turn around and come right back if they want to. They got here one or more times already. So uh, if they choose to come back and uh, commit more crime, that, uh, that they can. So I think that they need to serve their prison sentence and then be deported. And as far as deporting uh, serious criminals, it's nothing new. Uh, when I was a young detective 40 years ago 
in Washington, D.C. I can remember incidents where, where I'd lock somebody up for a serious crime, uh, one in particular I can recall, and uh, they were actually, although they were not a citizen, they were here legally, had a green card. But I called INS, it was INS at the time, Immigration and Naturalization Service, and they came right over and picked him up, and he was gone. Uh, so it's not a new thing uh, to be cooperating with the immigration authorities when it comes to serious criminals. That's been going on, uh, like I say, as far back as I can remember. Um, and a lot of what he's doing is, is, is fear-mongering, I believe. Well, um, that's all the time we have for today, but I do want to give you, I give everyone the chance, uh, November 6th, uh, you have 45 seconds to tell voters why they should check the name Carl Bickle. Well, I think that they should check the name uh, Carl Bickle because what I'll do is I will actually work hard to address the opioid issue that uh, I don't think it is something that uh, needs to run its course, that we can impact it, we can, uh, we can improve things, we won't fix the problem completely, but we can turn the corner and start moving in the right direction. I think my view on school safety is much different, that uh, it's more preventive uh, and still at the same time realizing response is important. That, uh, and I'm going to change the environment within the sheriff's office. I'm going to remove the, the toxic uh, environment uh, that comes through trying to manage through fear and intimidation. That uh, I think you're going to find that the deputies will be more comfortable. They will be willing to take chances in trying new things and that their service to the community will improve. They already do. The deputies, the rank-and-file deputies, do a good job. But we can, uh, we can provide an environment for them that uh, will permit them to do an even better job. Awesome. Again, for voters, uh, early voting begins October 25th, and the election day is, is November 6th. Carl, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. <laughs>